welcome to the Currency Exchange NatWest Market Effect Compact, where we help to break down the major themes and events driving currency markets this week and in the weeks ahead. Today, I'm joined by none other than Brian Dangerfield, who is our co-head of G10 Effect Strategy based over in the U.S. It's a little bit of deja vu because we were talking about the exact same thing we were talking about last week, which is whether, you know, if and when the Fed will actually be able to stop tightening, to stop stop hiking interest rates. However, our markets have a completely different view of it this week than they did last. And that is because of, you know, um, non-affirm payrolls, which came out weaker than expected, suggesting some slowdown in the labor market, and also a CPI print that undershot expectations. Brian, what was kind of your takeaway from these two data points? Thank you very much, Eva, for having me. I mean, what a difference a week can make in these markets, especially summer markets where it feels like liquidity is less and frankly, conviction is low. Now, when we recorded last week's currency exchange um, on Thursday, U.S. yields were pressing to new 2023 highs as the market saw consistent upside surprise in activity data. And one of the points we discussed on that pod was the importance of differentiating for the dollar and for FX between activity data and inflation data. Because what we talked about was if activity data in the US can stay strong, but inflation can continue to show signs of moderating, then that has a very soft landing type feel to it. And then it could be very positive um, for risk assets. And that breakdown was going to be very important to how we looked at the data the rate moves that that data inspired, and the dollar. And that discussion feels like it really is uh, very prevalent this week as we've seen a big reversal lower in U.S. and global yields, and with it, the dollar has tumbled in a lot of cases. And as you mentioned, Amber, it's really been the inflation data that have pushed us in that direction. So non-farm payrolls came in not as strong as expected, um, certainly still a positive number, I would say overall, over 200,000 jobs gained in the latest month wage inflation a touch stronger than the consensus had expected. But the big surprise came on the inflation front. Now, I think the market's been looking forward to slower inflation data really for a while, and it's proven stubbornly strong. But the CPI that we got most recently showed meaningful deceleration in inflation, not just in the components that we've been expecting, but also in some components. We know the Fed is watching core services, excluding rents um, as well. Core CPI came in at a 0.2 on the rounded basis, 0.2% increase month on month, I should say. But the unrounded number came in even lower than that at a 0.158%. So this was what you would call a low 0.2, that we were almost on the downside, um, almost printed a 0.1% gain on the core. And so you have seen, um, you know, one month does not make a trend, but you have seen, in this case, a meaningful deceleration. And that deceleration in the CPI follow some other measures of inflation that have not been as strong, despite the activity data being very good, right? So you had the 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 example I mentioned last week was ISM services. It's worth bringing up again, where the activity data was quite strong, the activity-related indicators, but the prices paid was weak. And so you had the prices paid number came in at its lowest since March of 2020 within that number, even though the activity data was good. So the activity data in the U.S. has been good. We mentioned last week about how that data consistent upward surprise led us to, you know, it is worth considering the possibility that, hey, this data is a challenge to um, our bearish dollar outlook. Our outlook for the Fed has been on the dovish side, um, generally speaking, and that's left our medium term call for the dollar is still in the bearish direction. That data had been really challenging that view. 
But one of the things that we've been focused on is this inflation versus growth differential. We actually took uh, a little bit of profit on some of our dollar uh, short positions turned neutral last week ahead of this move. You know, that's perhaps a bit frustrating, but that is life sometimes. But hey, from a medium term perspective, it's very important that if the activity data can stay strong, but the inflation can start to moderate, that's a combination that can still be pretty positive for risk and with a negative for the dollar. And I think you've seen that come through. Perhaps the biggest question from here is how much more does this move have to go in terms of lower rates? How much more do we need to adjust? The market is now almost fully taken out a rate hike at the September meeting. So the July meeting looks pretty baked in. Now we've taken out a September move and we're back to pricing, uh, sort of even Fed pricing from there with risk of cuts further out. And I think the dollar has really been whipsawed between Fed expectations that as the market's gotten very hawkish, we've repriced higher. And then on a couple of weaker inflation prints, we've sort of whipped back lower um, as the market is priced away from the Fed. Now, the Fed's kept a consistent message, uh, but ultimately the data is going to do the driving. And so um, that's been the big difference is the inflation data came in softer. That's what the Fed's been waiting for. It's what the market's been waiting for. Um, and I think it's still an open question how much of the move we've seen has been a real repricing of expectations or is something that's just been fueled by positioning being off sides in uh, slow, lower liquidity summer markets. And I mean, some of the moves we have seen have been, you know, stellar. I mean, we had euro dollar trading clear above 111. I think that's the highest levels in March 2022. I mean, cable reaching that 131 level. And um, again, a multi-month high. So, you know, these moves have been big and really volatile. Um, what do you think the next trigger for the dollar is? As you said, you know, there is the worry that it's just markets have gone a little bit too built up, too carried away in terms of expectation. Do you think it remains the data in the driver's seat or do you need to see some kind of acknowledgement from the Fed that, you know what, growth is holding up, but inflation's easing? I think the data is still going to be the most important driver here, but we are heading into a bit of a lull in terms of the highest profile data. The data that we know for sure influences the Fed expectations very heavily. So NFP, non-farm payrolls last Friday, uh, CPI uh, on this past Wednesday are really the two big ones. We've also just had PPI data, per, uh, producer price index, which came in a bit weaker than expected. We'll have retail sales coming up as well. But we're getting into a gap here between now and the July FOMC meeting. We're also getting into the quiet period for the Federal Reserve where we won't have the usual deluge of Fed speakers. And so we're going to hit a bit of a lull here in terms of the specific U.S. data that the market really likes to hang their hat on in terms of a repricing for the Fed. And so if you think this move is positioning linked, if you think this is a resetting of expectations against positioning that had gotten um, pretty flushed out in terms of you know, long interest rate, uh, long treasury positions, for example, that had been under pressure for the past month or so, those have clearly come under pressure and been uh, reduced similar with the dollar. Um, you know, as we had mentioned, at least in the G10 space, the dollar moves in most cases, the yen being the exception, had not been particularly large in the face of these higher rates because it hasn't just been U.S. rates, it's been global rates moving higher. Now we're in a very similar position where U.S. rates are moving lower, but that's also dragging other interest rates lower. And so from a interest rate differential perspective, you have to wonder whether this move uh, in the dollar lower is moving ahead of what we would call fundamentals, right? But in summer markets, when things are quiet and expectations change, uh, and expectations are so heavily linked to economic data, the specifics of one month data, mind you, 
you have the potential for these kinds of uh, these kinds of swings and expectations leading to outsized moves. And so I do think the data is very important here because that's really been the story of this year for the dollar has been the market's expectation for the Fed for slowing growth for weaker um, inflation down the road and the Fed eventually pivoting, uh, pausing and eventually easing sometime down the road. And then the data and how the Fed message has sort of conflicted against that, either at times reinforcing that benchmark for the U uh, for, from economists and from markets, and at times pushing against that. Right now, we're in one of these positions where the data is, at least on the inflation front, is really fed into the market, wanting to price towards a, a softer Fed. But we know the Fed's message has been much more consistently hawkish, and that's really it. It's just, There's a question of whether or not we should effectively believe the Fed or not uh, when they come out and keep uh, you know, uh, showing their hawkish colors, if you will. So we are in a bit of a gap here from the data side. And so um, fun, these, you know, when you have big changes in positioning uh, and big changes in expectation that fuel moves, there's certainly a possibility of overshoot and continuation, even if you feel like the fundamental drivers behind it um, are, 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 are not sufficient enough, right? You've only had one set of data that's been uh, week on the inflation front. And so uh, that's probably the consideration for the next couple of weeks here as we uh, as we head towards the Fed in July. It makes me nervous, right? Heading into summer markets, it does feel that, you know, liquidity is going to thin and markets are just watching every data point. I have to draw you on kind of the biggest kind of decoupling and I guess global monetary policy is the Bank of Japan, right? That everyone thinks they'll actually start beginning, you know, their hiking cycle or tightening cycle just as the Fed actually pivots away from its own and could be looking at an easing cycle. You know, we've seen a big move in dollar yen. What's kind of your outlook from here? The dollar yen has been certainly among the biggest movers and one of the biggest beneficiary of lower US rates and lower global rates that we have seen over the past week. And so, as you mentioned, Emer, BOJ is on their own planet in terms of monetary policy cycles, right? They have kept an extremely dovish policy, not just in terms of short-term rates, but their yield curve control policy, which targets their 10-year JGB yield at 0% with a band of 50 basis points in either direction. Uh, that compared with the interest rate tightening cycles of every other economy has meant that interest rate differentials, you know, carry uh, from holding uh, yen positions has been almost entirely driven by what's going on outside of Japan's borders. And so it stands to reason that when U.S. rates are rising, it had been the case for uh, almost the entire month of May and uh, through most of June, that the yen was under pressure. Now that you've seen some relief, you've also seen the yen recovering. Now, I was actually just recently in Asia, as we spoke about a little bit last week, Emer, um, that one of the senses that I got on the yen was that there was a fundamental bullishness on the Japanese economy, but that holding yen long positions was actually very difficult because of these interest rate differentials that had been widening against the yen as Bank of Japan policy was seen as very, very likely to stay unchanged for a long time while we were repricing in a hawkish direction. So now that U.S. rates have come down, it makes sense that dollar yen has fallen here and that the yen has regained some ground. But also adding in here is that carry dynamic, right? That the yen, because of its very low yielding status, was likely the funding currency for a lot of long carry positions that with the U.S. policy rate above 5% and the Bank of Japan policy rate at effectively zero, 
when you're thinking about high carry currencies in your space, EMA, and in emerging markets being long, your biggest carry differential is coming against the yen, not against the dollar. And so that was probably a big factor um, in yen weakness in addition to these rate differentials. Now that you've seen the yen strengthening a little bit, I think that's led to some taking off of that positioning, that yen positioning had gotten short simply because of it being a funder for carry currencies. And so as the yen had strengthened, I think the positioning component has probably fueled this move as well. And so you've had uh, a, you've had a fundamental move in U.S. rates lower um, based on some economic data. That has helped the yen recover. I think positioning has enhanced that move. And then there's also the question about the Bank of Japan. Now, when I was in Tokyo a few weeks back, most of the people I spoke to, frankly, the views were all over the place on the Bank of Japan. Some thought a change could come at the July meeting, their next meeting in July, in this yield curve control policy in the hawkish direction. Others thought a change might not be coming until as late as next year. So expectations were really all over the place. And frankly, we've been in a position with the Bank of Japan that they changed their policy in the hawkish direction back in December of 2022. And since that point, the market has come into each subsequent meeting, call it the week and a half, two weeks before that meeting, with some expectation that maybe this is the meeting where the Bank of Japan surprises again. And that expectation has been really shot down pretty much consistently every single time. And so there's a question of whether or not we are in the same sort of pre-BOJ hype cycle, if you will, that the market sees the next meeting from the Bank of Japan in late July and says, maybe this is the moment when there is a change. Uh, I don't necessarily want to be max short yen against carry currencies if this is the time they happen to surprise. Remember, the December decision was completely out of the blue in terms of what the market was expecting. And so there's certainly an expectation that the Bank of Japan could surprise. And so what I am curious about is you certainly see 10-year JGB yields have risen in the past week or so against the backdrop of falling rates in a lot of places. So it's very significant in that regards that we talk about global rates moving together in a lot of places. JGB yields have actually risen up towards the top end of that target, right? So that's a clear expectation. It's a clear sign that the market might be thinking, hey, the top end of that yield curve control range at 50 basis points. JGB yields closer to 47 basis points uh, as of yesterday. Uh, maybe there's some expectations really building in that maybe this could be risen, uh, for example, at the next meeting. But it's hard, I think, to differentiate between how much of the move higher in rates and stronger in the yen is real expectations for a change versus how much is trying to sort of clean, you know, clean up your position and clean up your exposure ahead of the possibility, maybe it's still a small risk. If you're thinking maybe it's still a small 5 or 10% risk, maybe, that the BOJ makes that change at the July meeting, even if you still think it's low, when rates are falling, you're already, you know, you're already potentially in a position where you want to take some profit on those positions if you were short the yen, for example. I think that's probably feeding in um, as well. So I think it's fair to say right now the yen has a number of tailwinds. But I think the big question now, the proof will be in the pudding for the Bank of Japan, right? That if the Bank of Japan delivers another dovish disappointment, as they've done at every meeting this year so far, um, maybe that's a moment where the market has to, uh, you know, has to, has to sort of reconsider here. Um, but again, there's a number of different drivers behind this rebound we have seen. I think the question, you know, a lot of the questions on the Fed in terms of the data uh, will be critical for this pair, but also the questions on the BOJ side as well, because, man, they have disappointed a number of times uh, and the expectations seem to be building again. I wonder if we're uh, 
you know, if we're setting up for a uh, another disappointment. But you know, certainly the market seems to be romancing that. It's just hard to know whether or not that's real expectations or that's simply trying to become a little bit more defensive, given it's a small, it's perhaps still a small risk of a potentially large, uh, large, large change and therefore a large move in the currency and in other related assets. Yeah, I love that you sound a little bit skeptical that the Bank of Japan will actually capitulate and start the trading cycle. But it does seem that, you know, this was kind of the big trade that was supposed to happen. A market still seems to, you know, build their expectations going into it, even though they are, you know, repeatedly disappointed at every meeting. But we will see. Yeah, I guess, you know, for EN, these kind of moves in US yields the game changers and we had kind of revised our expectations last week and we thought you know higher us yields were you know a fundamental intrinsic threat to the carriage rate um you know we're still less bullish on em we don't want to be kind of outright and short the dollar against some of the em pairs um, and it is because we do think you know you are at this peaking interest rate differentials and a number of em currencies you know inflation has collapsed and we do think that turning point that actually EM central banks are a lot closer to cutting uh, interest rates and that kind of the peak of carry differentials are in and um, so we are more focusing on relative value and kind of staying away from a very volatile US dollar right now um, but that is about all we have time for this week Brian thank you so much for joining me and um, if you did like the podcast please do click like and make sure you subscribe so you can get the next episode first. Thanks again.